0: Zone 3 podcast. Robert here. We got Reggie, Reggie as well, Reggie. my partner in crime. Thank yes. you, Reggie, for coming. No, no problem. And thank you guys for coming. We got Jonathan and Jesse, and they're here to discuss building protocols. And that's actually the subject of today's yeah. episode. Two so, impressive guys, by the way. Let me mention that. Well, that's the reason why Big we fan. invited them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank
0: you. <laughs> so uh, I kind of want you guys to introduce yourselves and we'll start with left to right. So we'll go with Jesse. Start with where you're from, how long you've been doing MRI, maybe some side hobbies, whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm from uh, a small town called Worland, Wyoming. Grew up there, farm boy. Now I'm in the big city. Started doing MRI in about 2006 and just kind of fell in love with it. I don't know. It's like a, it came easy. It's a natural. The more that I learn, the more that I don't know, which makes me just kind of... It's like a self-perpetuating thing. So I love to learn. So like a dog
2: chasing his it's tail. It's a dog chasing his tail. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, what, would, what would you consider your personality type? Are I don't... You, are you kind of yeah, type A, like... You know, I'm a little detailed, bit of everything. Detail, detail. Yeah, detailed for sure, but... Very sl- artsy, huh? I'm
1: very artsy, yeah. Honestly, I tried to get a, an art scholarship that didn't go well. It's a tough world, and I'm right. so glad it didn't go well. But yeah, so I kind of consider... MRI and making pretty pictures. That's a different type yeah. of art, right? It yeah, absolutely. Sure. Big time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Awesome. And how long you said you've been doing it?
1: Uh, since 2006. That's when I started. Okay.
0: Yep. And currently you're at a facility about how many beds would you say? Good question.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I would. I can't even. Guess oh, I'll answer that for you because we
0: work together. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's about 250 beds. Is it? It's uh, growing. Yeah. It's part of like a, a larger corporation, mm-hmm. so we're affiliated and we're across the U.S. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: But okay. Thank you, yeah. Jonathan. You're welcome. Very, uh, very similar story Let's hear actually. It. Rural, uh, like parallel universe mm-hmm. in another small town in Arizona, rural town, uh, Snowflake, and same thing. Just Little farm boy, just moving to the big city, and nice. at one point actually was pursuing art. So, oh, wow. Yeah, but basically it's, at the end of the day, how are you going to provide for a family? Right. Uh-huh. Kind of thing, and I, I volunteered through AmeriCorps, actually, and landed at County Hospital.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, very cool. And
3: uh, I was like, wow, this this exists? I mean, they put me as the MR tech aide, and it was in 2003, and kind of the rest is history. So I've seen a lot, been through a lot, and love every minute of it.
2: So are you somewhere. telling us this is a requirement? You have to be a farm boy? slash some kind of art background to be an MRI tech, or excel as an MRI tech. What's your background, Reggie? (laughs) Um, I actually was raised in a farm on Georgia. No, (laughs) No, uh, actually, I can actually tell you a little bit about myself, too. Uh, I'm actually from uh, Georgia, Savannah, Georgia. Yeah, shout out to... My friends back in savannah but i had actually my backgrounds from the military so i got my x-ray tech training in the military i got out and actually went and got my bachelor's degree in radiological sciences and kind of focused on mri track and man i'll tell you when i was comparing because the other tracks was a uh, leadership role in x-ray ct or um you know i think it was radiation therapist and honestly mri is the youngest modality it had the most potential and you know the pay was right where it needed to be. So I I saw it as a, a great way to kind of get in on the ground floor and, you know, kind of learn something that's kind of new as well as help innovate in that field. So that's why I love doing these podcasts because I love the creative aspect that MR brings. And I know there's a lot of people out there that can relate to that. And I've love just to kind of get that out there. Well, we do
0: diagnostic imaging and that in itself is an art form, right? So like, I right. you know radiography for sure is an art, I think.
2: Right. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Everything when but you get ultrasound. Into, like the film production I'm, I'm part of it? <laughs> we love you, ultrasound. That's uh,
1: uh, well, an art just to be able to look at that snowstorm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
0: Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, Jonathan, how long have you been doing MRI for?
3: So, like I said, 2003 is when I okay. became an MRI tech aide, And that was until I started X ray school. And then yeah. you are
0: doing mostly outpatient. I think you are at different imaging centers, right? That's about right. How many That's magnets? Right. Are you uh, about
3: thirteen magnets now. Okay, different vendors. Different vendors. Okay, I've been around town, and uh, so I've tried a, a few new, unique models as well. Very which is, cool. you know, they're always, you know, everybody's competing and uh, ha- has a, a different spin on it. So it's it's interesting to see and, and unlock that component as well. Well,
0: I'm just excited to talk about the subject of building protocols today. So we want to kind of just go over the basics at first. We see the audience of this episode being two techs. Um, One tech that's just starting to get into protocol building and one that's already been doing it for a while. Right. Maybe wants to see how we do it differently or tricks that he can learn to optimize what he's doing. So as far as the basics goes, what would you say would be a a good place to start there?
3: It's a great question because the reality of, of who we work with, who we train, the levels of personal development levels of every individual falls into two categories. When you get that student for the first time, you're not going to go over user CVs necessarily, but you're going right. to focus on, you need to know your TR ranges. Our job at the end of the day is to provide patho numerically an image that can fall into a, a waiting. You know, if we can produce a T1 and a T2, essentially when MR came out, those were the big existence for waitings. Right. The radiologist can do their job and the patient can get the diagnosis they need. So. That would be one category. Let's just focus on the basics. Your job is to provide a weighted image. And then the second category, maybe somebody that's been doing this for a while is interested in building protocols, advancing in protocols. Okay, now let's start to look at the user CVs, the echo spacing, things like that that can enhance the quality, the speed, basically the diagnostic viability of the image.
2: Now, I heard you say user CV, so are you more of a GE range kind of guy? A yeah,
3: heavily background nice. of, of GE, but like I said, multi-vendors, but GE is my, my forte. Here's your home base, nice.
1: And the user CVs, that's just for those of, out there that don't know. What is that exactly?
3: It's the user control values is what it stands uh-huh, for. Control
2: values, nice. um, I and did not the, know that. I like that, nice. It,
1: but it's an area that really, if you're just scanning day to day, you know, uh, you wouldn't really need to go in there. It would be more the protocol developer would be the guy setting uh, all that up. That so, activates those different yeah, things, nice. Make yeah. it usable, essentially.
3: Not a, a necessity, but a nicety in, in, a, in a lot of ways. But if you get enough minutia in line, you can create a, an outstanding image.
1: Yeah. And well, you said
0: the basics would be maybe like the parameters and how they're adjusted per weighted image mm-hmm. and, and that's gonna vary from 3T versus a 1.5 and stuff like that so let's go over those real quick so like on a 1.5 maybe just go over the TR range or something like that for basic
2: T1 T2 yeah
1: yeah for me uh, T1 1.5 it's not that far off from a 3T honestly but typically you'll be a little bit lower at 1.5 so for me a T1 is anywhere from a TR range of 400 to say 950 and I probably wouldn't go that high, uh, probably 850 to 900 post-contrast. Oh, nice. Proton density is like the next step. So for me, it's about 1800 to uh, 3800, 4000. Honestly, the high range doesn't matter that much. You don't want to go 5000 at five, but... And then for T2, turbo spin echo, and that we should clarify that too real quick because this is for turbo right. spin echo. Think, right. You know, this is the entry-level... Multi-echo. Right. The bread-and-butter scans that we do are turbo spin echo. Right. So, so the T2 range then for me, if it's a turbo spin echo, not a fast-recovery fast spin echo, would be maybe 2,800 to 6,000 TR. But uh, do you have anything to to add to that or just minutiae yeah no two guys
3: will give you the same answer right (laughs) the 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 big thing is really the the biggest difference and like i said simplicity is key especially if you're working with a new tech right i'll try to give them just one set of numbers most everything will cross over 153t the tr changes a little on a, a t1 and that has to do back to the basic spin spin and spin lattice t1's a spin lattice the processional frequency is is tied up at a higher rate on a 3T, so that TR range just drags out a little yeah, bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, honestly, you could take a T1 at 400 TR on a 3T. It's not going to look as good. The sweet spot for me is about 650 when it starts to look really good mm-hmm. at 3Tesla. So
3: Yeah, and that's true. If you do SNR, I had a, a buddy do the SNR calculations at oh, different nice. TR ranges, and nice. 600 ends up being the, 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 the highest SNR for that. That's the money shot. Yeah, yep. that's, yeah that's, nice. that's right. That's yep. right. I worked with a fella, a very good uh, MR tech, and... The T2, he said. Look, you can run it as high as you want. So yeah. you can go to infinity, es- essentially, for wow. the TR range. We were on a Toshiba, and, and that's what we we ran our axial T spines at, like fourteen thousand, and mm. they were Looked T2. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. you know,
1: and that, that's a good point. When you do like respiratory triggering or gating, and you're doing a T2, depends on the respiratory cycle, oh. among oh. other things, and you'll see those come out at twelve thousand all the time at one five, and they, they look great. Nice. Yep. Very cool. So you would say
0: that probably the biggest variable, you know, five versus 3T would be the TR on the T1. Exactly. But also TI2, because I think we've discussed this before.
3: TI is different. Uh-huh. This TI is different, yeah. On a five total null point on a STIR, a 1.5 is 165. The lowest that I would go on a 3T is, is 185 for stir mm-hmm. TI.
1: It really starts to get washed out. Right. Yeah. Right. I've seen big ranges there. But yeah, 220 is uh, kind of the sweet spot for me for Mm. T2-weighted stir Mm -hmm. at three Tesla.
3: And this is another great question. It's a big difference is there's always that sweet spot. I'm like, yeah, I'll tell you on a podcast. uh, This is great. But the reality is like, you know, how much is that affecting your time too? Because that's the balance.
0: How's your patient
2: doing? Yeah. Yeah, That's
0: that's actually an important factor to consider.
2: Yeah. Patients don't want to be in there too long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure.
0: It's kind of a game that you're playing, right? That's right. Awesome. So I know that we were talking about basics. Is there anything else to be included in that, you think? I would say like just, you know, when to properly use a sat band and stuff like this, right? Oh, that does adjust Phase direction. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want to use a sat band uh, if it isn't going to help with any sort of like motion problems in the phase direction or, you know, I see people, they'll place them incorrectly and that's fine. It does cost you time. It costs you TR and... It looks good. A vi- well, let's talk yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. aesthetically, well, Yeah, he used the sat band. So, <laughs> let's um, talk about you
0: say they use it incorrectly. Let's talk about how to use the sat band correctly then. So, what would your advice be?
1: The best example I could give right off the top of my head is like a lumbar spine sagittal. So, uh, the best place to place that sat band is where? Well, if the phase direction is head to foot and you're putting it out anteriorly, it's probably not adding a lot of value. Right. So, the best value you would get was with two sat bands, uh, one inferiorly, you'd kind of angle it. I don't know, A to P, oblique, basically, so that it's up underneath the sacrum. So you're satting out anything that's moving there that might flow up. Even though you're head to foot? uh, Head to foot, yeah. So you're putting that underneath the sacrum, basically. Okay. And then if you had an an additional one anteriorly to kind of follow that lordotic curvature so they're catching anything from the T-spine and above, to me that's going to make the best benefit if you have to use sat bands. Right. Honestly, I don't think you need them
2: <laughs> in <Right. So laughs> the sagittal lumbar spine. Is that something yeah. you would add after you've gotten some motion? And you're like, okay, this patient's like got a lot of aorta, yeah. pulsation, uh, Maybe, maybe, or maybe, but breathing. for me,
1: post-GAD, that's where you oh, really that's you the have value. so much. Yeah, yeah. there's so much ghosting, so much going on. You get all, all right. that signal from contrast, and uh, that's where I see the need for sat-bands, no, post-GAD in the spine.
2: Totally makes sense.
1: Yep. What are you thinking there?
3: No, no. It's the, the biggest penalty you'll get for a sat band is on a T1, like you mentioned the TR range. You can shave a minute or more just eliminating sat bands yeah. on a T1, One, five and 3T. But another factor is the SAR factor. Everything's oh, call. giving a factor number. Uh, Satmans are a two factor, so you know it could be up to four times the amount of RF just going from a one five to a three T. I remember years ago there was a guy. He says he gives them to me, and and you you can look at your card and, and see the directions. And there's mm-hmm. you know every direction there there they are. They're available. I'm like yep. Ooh. wow. And did it look aesthetically pleasing? Yeah, but sure. what did it cost you time and, and SAR? Yep. And yep. Yep. It, it's a balance. Does it affect the signal at all? It depends where it's at, you know, Uh, properly placed sat band can minimize, mitigate some of the flow and improperly sat band, you'll end up with a repeat because you were covering pertinent and Anatomy.
1: And they tend to bleed, you know. Some vendors yeah. bleed more than others, right. and uh, so you don't want to get too close. Do you, do you right. remember just
3: that as a shout-out? On the older vendors, there's a sweet spot millimeter yeah. zones. Okay, yeah. well, what were they? You
1: know, on Siemens, I want to say it was like 40 and 66 okay. is what i I could remember it was 44, but yeah, there's for these magical
3: millimeter numbers. Yeah, if you knew 41. them, you would see that dark. Yeah. If you didn't, uh, you would just have a gray haze. But right. GE also had sweet the magical yeah, number. I don't <laughs> so, notice that anymore. I feel No, like they've improved they fixed the that. profiles for the yeah. on, on their newer
1: scanners. But yeah, if, if you were in the in-club on the like
2: yeah.
3: 16 X or older, you, right. you could
1: dial it in. So that would be a, a thickness of 41 or 66, but yeah. I had a
2: quick question. Yeah. Oh, so I, I like how you brought up the SAT bands and the SAR mitigation. So would it, I mean, even if you keep your SAR below 2.0 on certain conditional devices, you think maybe you still shouldn't use SAT bands when you're scanning You know, certain conditional devices just to keep that extra bit of RF coming through? If it's a non-contributory
3: sat band, like you said, uh, a lot of sagittal spines, the flow is head to foot or mm-hmm. S to I. Oh. Um, having the anterior sat band is purely aesthetic at that point. Right. And uh, a lot of the rads like to see the aorta anyways to make measurements to check for an aneurysm. Yep. So is what
2: we're doing counterproductive? Right. I think that's a good point. Yeah.
1: You know, and now with rectangular field of views, I think that's really the direction people should be heading when it comes to sagittal anything, any long axis like that, even in a humerus or a long bone. Can you give us a little more information on when you say, uh, I guess, rectangular field of views? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, up till fairly recently, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years, you had a square image. So now what you can do with the Siemens technology that I've been using is uh, you can take that Rectangular field of view, so you actually take the phase direction up to like 200%. Oh,
2: nice.
1: So you can imagine a, a sagittal spine. Right. If you have that rectangular field of view, you don't really see nothing anterior. You, you see basically nothing. So you could include the aorta that way. Right. The nice thing about that is that you can lower your matrix. So you have a no penalty, basically. You can lower the matrix. You take advantage of that ah. increased signal to noise with the lower matrix. Stretch it out. And if you have a 200% phase oversampling, it actually doubles your base matrix. Oh, nice. So it's like a win-win. There's yeah. no real reason not to be doing it this way. It's awesome. And then, uh, you know, if you really needed a set band, it would be, you know, superior and inferior. But that's the future for me. Right. I but, like
2: that rectangular field of view. I like it. Yep. Especially T-spine-wise. I can only imagine yeah.
1: how valuable. That's yeah, what I'm thinking about. Yeah, it would be. When you said that was
0: T-spine.
2: Right. right. You really take advantage of that signal. Right. You know. And patients vary, you know, mm. like when it comes the height so i mean mm-hmm. sometimes with you know your basic protocol when you're scanning someone five foot you're getting all kinds of l spine and c spine mm-hmm. right yeah something sure. that rectangular could really help benefit for sure in That's those great. cases yeah. yeah
1: great for long bones
2: yep. oh yeah and long bones too mm-hmm. for sure nice anything to add to that jonathan
3: i mean you did mention the the sat bands that in consideration is your phase direction yeah uh like in a coronal shoulder the right shoulder generally ends up better than the left shoulder, at least on some vendors, because the phase is right to left. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting the medial steinal flow going back and forth. It's just going one direction through case space.
0: And actually, yeah, that's the next thing I was going to mention. So we mentioned, you know, like a sat bands, TR range as being the basics of building protocols, but also phase direction too, probably, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Right. phase Optimized I know you,
0: you've you mentioned before, Jonathan, that like a good example would be an axial on the lumbar mm-hmm. and how on a Siemens or versus a GE, you have more options.
3: Yeah, there's currently an option. Uh, instead of going A to P, you can type negative 180 and go P to A, and it, it'll push that oh. flow motion away from the spine rather than through the spine. So That's magic. It's great. And then you can dial in the rectangular field of view, yeah. capitalized on the oh, yeah. reduced phase field of view, save some time. Mm-hmm. For sure. So yeah, there's a lot of, of benefits to optimizing that correctly. Even just like we we're talking about shoulders, mm-hmm. you know, have the right shoulder go from right to left and the, the left coronal go just the opposite. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And for me, uh, I guess the shoulders that I've been scanning recently, uh, coronally, I go foot to head. Yeah. kind of throw it out so nothing from the lungs comes oh, in, and right. everything that's moving goes up in a away.
3: That's a great question, and so part of minutiae, because that's come up before mm-hmm. with people I've worked with. It's like that's a great fix, yep. but it depends on the coil architecture. Sure. Some of the old yeah, hoop yeah. ones, you get a lot of uh, inferior signal, yeah. and so then you get a little bit of that artifact map through. But you're right. Yeah, the, generally that works, but depending on the, the, the model and make of scanner that you're on, you Absolutely. might have to. That's nice. a good point, Jesse.
1: And that's a good point, Jonathan, because you really do have to, when you're building protocols, you know, it's not a one size fits all approach. Right. Each combination of coil and equipment. And patient in, too. And patient. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But you really have to optimize this stuff for the specific equipment that you're working with. Right. And so for sure. that I'm sure we've both discovered that's critical. Has anyone worked with a dual flex coil? Oh, you and I have worked. You, you and idea. I worked. I worked with it a couple years back. but So it's a unique coil.
3: I mean, mm-hmm. they have those little four-channel paddles, and, and you can do different combos. And the recommendation from the company for shoulders, because that was a very difficult exam. I mean, fortunately, it's a very pliable coil. But the recommendation, because uh, inherently, you'd want to use the two 24 paddles, anterior and posterior. But what they settled on was a better fix, was using the 10-centimeter yeah. anteriorly and the 24-posterior. Uh, hmm. But if you think about it, this is a unique feature. Yeah. If you're doing a football player or a granny or, or whoever, most often than not the the shoulder is, is, is very superficial anteriorly uh-huh. yeah Once like you the, start packing on weight of his bones, goes, right. yeah, yeah so yeah, you can yeah. almost always put that 10 on the anterior surface and, and still get a, pretty get good a little
2: image.
1: higher signal probably that way mm-hmm. yeah nice that's interesting yeah that's well on good. the
2: topic of coils especially ge coils i know they have this special like cloth coil that's been in the news a lot and just i've heard a lot about it have you worked with one of those before this, I don't know. Is it called cloth or, oh, or they they called air, coils. air coil? Air yeah, coil. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I, I
3: have. I haven't used them, but I have felt them and uh, yeah. been in some negotiations on in using them. And but
2: how applicable, I guess, is that? Like, do you see it being utilized for? So this is a great question because.
3: When the dual flex came out, those are that's eight channels if you use both paddles. Well, what's it replacing the facility we were at had the, the quadrature coil, which is not four channels. Right. That's a CP circularly polarized coil. It's actually one channel. Mm-hmm. So the difference between using eight channels versus one, out the gate, you have eight times more SNR and you can balance the resolution mm-hmm. and the time. Right. So now you have these air coils that are thirty channels. Again, you can fold over you know i don't know if i haven't i would like to see if you do it with a wrist if you wrap around if you oh yeah, yeah how many right. yeah, how, how
1: many wrap
2: arounds you get huh? right <laughs> and, and
1: it, and, i was just at rsna uh, this year and nice. they, that's one of the things that i stopped by and checked out and asked them a bunch of questions and that's exactly what they said you should do because uh, you know i was kind of saying how do you do small field of view with these big blankets to keep people warm right they said you just take the small one wrap it and let it rip so i'd love to see images with those yeah me too they didn't have that for me there but but i would love to see that but yeah the technology's just getting better right getting better i mean the functionality of those coils seems fantastic yeah the
3: only downside that
1: i one
3: of the became aware of with the dual flex is for the history of how we've been scanning, when we use a tr knee coil, that locks them in, mm-hmm. that holds them down. Yeah. Well, now we have these light coils. Yes. They don't come with a, a knee holder.
0: Oh, they Don't come right. with a shoulder
3: holder. So you have to come up yeah. uh, with You're some immobilizing
0: tricks. Yes. yes. Exactly. That, I've got exactly. some tape, coban. <laughs> Maybe that's a good some transition
2: because <laughs> I think as a new technologist, sometimes the hardest thing when it comes to motion is identifying how to solve that problem. Right? Is it breathing? Is it something that you can actually change by positioning the patient or altering the actual protocol and parameters, adding sat bands and such. What's the best way, especially when it comes to shoulders, to identify if it's breathing versus, I don't know, maybe um, just adding a sat band or going straight to like a propeller or blade type of sequence?
1: I mean, it's hard to tell exactly what, the, you know what motion looks like, but, right. but it's hard to pinpoint where it's really coming from. In the shoulder, though, uh, oftentimes it's breathing, mm. you know, or twitching or who knows, a little cough will do it. But, yeah, with these flex coils, that, that gets tough. It, its shoulders are a really hard place to immobilize.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh,
1: we have this strap, though, that we're using right now. We have what's called a Shape 16. So that's a flexible coil that we're using, 16 channels, Oh, nice. Uh, with the new Magnetone Vita. And we have this thick, very stretchy elastic strap that we put around the patient's whole thorax. And just nail it down, and that's been very nice, very useful. It's working.
2: <laughs> Do you have to angle the patient up at all, or are you just kind of? No. Yeah, okay. no, they just
1: put it on the table before that's they nice. lie down, and and uh, oh, no, you're right, a little angle, so you wrap it around little, the coil, okay. kind of around the the meat of the shoulder, and nice under the other armpit. Uh,
0: probably the easiest shoulder coil I've ever worked with. Oh, really? As far as its the usability, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's flex. It's got it's a flex coil to it you're able to put them off iso center or into iso center a lot easier. So I like that coil a lot. And I use it. I nice still his setup. I've seen it set up before and I stole it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I use that it's exact it. same that's little mobilizing. Martex, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Bag of tricks. You just keep Amar-tex. adding to your bag. Right? That's right. Like that. that's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. right. right.
1: But, uh, you know, a general rule of thumb, if you uh. see motion on a shoulder at all, I switch immediately to the blade protocol, the radio case-based feeling, because uh, that's what you should do. Yeah, no. We don't want to repeat too many images. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's great to see an element from
3: everybody here. And a lot of it adds up, again, to a, a very successful study. The scapula, they sit at an oblique plane. So rolling it a lot of time gets the lung motion anterior to the shoulder.
0: And a trick, it may have been you that taught me this. Was it you that taught me that like on, you know, how is it the left shoulder, it always shows up as a right if it's oblique too much? That's
3: right. 45 degrees, the on gradients the get confused. Oh. Yeah. But if you oblique
0: them... That eliminates that
3: from yep, happening. No, so you save some benefits there. Yeah. You mentioned ISO Center. So here's a unique thing on one vendor I had worked with, because now you have these 16 channels on a 3T. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. you're drowning in SNR. Yeah. And one of the things that we were having issues, we thought was patient motion, and you you know you call it in and it gets thrown. Oh, patient motion, nothing we can do. But it was consistent, and it turned out to be phase offsets. Oh,
1: really? Oh. So
3: to the point where I had an opportunity of meeting the guy that invented Phase Correct and it was really unique. So that little button on GE that says, you know, face correct, that mm-hmm. adds to your pre-scan. A lot of times anything off isocenter, the face the offsets increase. It's what you find on an FSE or turbo spin echo. Mm-hmm. So these are things that you see w- with like a shoulder, anything uh, hips, you, you really wanna have that on to reduce what can be mistaken as patient motion.
0: Oh,
1: very nice. cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Was that a twin speed? that you had that issue with? I've seen no. that on
3: a, oh, okay. I mean, okay. I, I can identify it on one fives and now that yeah, yeah, I'm aware yeah. of it, I'm like, oh, that face correct. You I, know it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'll go in real depth if you want to go real depth. Let's do it. So yeah. when we all go to school, we learn that we have our, our B sub zero, right? We got your, your permanent magnet right. and then we have the XYZ gradient coils. Mm-hmm. Did you know that behind that, there's another set of XYZ coils? No. So when you run a diffusion, it says running reference scan. Right. It's checking for eddy currents. When you click face correct, that's what it's doing. It's checking oh. for eddy currents, and that's why your pre-scan it is longer, and it's adjusting that additional set of X Y Z coils oh, nice. to offset that's these cool. phase.
1: Now these are inherent like gradient coils.
3: They're they're in- all epoxy to that it's it's the magnet. Wow. wow,
1: yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Nice. I, like I said, it was that's it was a huge stuff. opportunity to get in depth and like right. So that's what's going on. Nice, that's
1: yeah. Awesome.
2: yeah.
0: Nice. Well, along the lines of like basic stuff because that's kind of what we're covering right now. I mean another thing to touch up on is echo spacing.
2: Yes. I know a lot of people are afraid of touching echo training, Yeah. Right? Sure. Things like that. So TV. maybe you guys can
0: just kind of discuss that, if you would. And we'll start with yeah,
2: well, you, like,
1: Jesse. Well, mm-hmm.
2: what kind of things affect your echo spacing,
1: I guess, yeah, is the, the you know, quest? The, the bandwidth is a big one for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, So when I'm building, it doesn't matter really what I do. I always try to keep it under 10. And that's just something that I was taught a long time ago. I don't even know where I got that number, to be honest with you. Mm. It's easy for me to just keep an eye on that. And if it's not where it needs to be, I optimize the bandwidth. Small little shifts in the bandwidth will make a pretty big change. So there's a
0: few factors, right? And so you're saying, you know, for one, definitely the bandwidth. Yeah. If it's too low, that's
1: where the the echo spacing goes too high. So you want to kind of balance that. 220 on a 3T is pretty, that's a nice starting place for me, but it depends on a lot of other factors. So with echo spacing, like
2: how does it affect our image quality, I guess, too, is a good question. So
3: when you have the echo, you have you remember the free induction decay, you know, it starts out and then you get the maximum signal and it dies out. Right. You want to sample the the optimal region. If if you're too far off as your starting point and you have a X amount of ETL, eight, ten, twelve, you're just if you start with garbage, you're gonna end up with garbage. Right. And I've got a great image I can share with you on that. Oh yeah. Um I can send it to you. Oh, for sure. Uh but it's the same patient. It ended up being echo spacing. The thing that killed it though, this is where the advanced applications guy would come in, it was the user fee. Oh, really? On on G E V they have blurring oh. cancellation. Oh. Yeah, we're having trouble with these images. It just clicked this button, blurring cancel.
1: It was on? Uh, it or was it, on. It just in, yeah just about uh, everything and it but, was making it blurry. Ah, <laughs> uh, it it almost
3: doubles or triples the the echo space. So yeah, yeah, yeah. some of these were starting out at sixteen to twenty. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you're starting out with trash, you're just gonna yeah. end up with trash. So Going in, scrubbing that off, getting it below 10, like you said, that yeah. is the magic number. Mm-hmm. You start there, and then you have freedom to
2: explore an ETL right. within range of that weighting. Now, I know, with my experience with GE and Siemens, I know Siemens gives you the echo spacing, and I'm not sure. Does GE actually give you what your echo spacing is? It's the minimum calculate?
3: value on the older software, and the new software, it actually shows you, which it's, it's still the minimum. And you can adjust the last bit of it, so say it's like 10 to 200. As you go up in your ETL, that the end will go longer, Oh, because what it is, it's, it's you sampling it that many times.
2: I see. Nice.
3: Nice. All right. So you're saying there's three factors that affect echo. There's spacing, three big factors. Uh, frequency matrix. Frequency matrix. Bandwidth. Bandwidth. Field and, of view. And field of view. Okay. And they all tie in, which I've seen notes at some facilities. Like they work around by having low ETLs because they're starting off. But again, if, if you dial it in correctly, you're free to use your ETL range. Basically when you do have that first echo below 10, you're, Free to move about with your ETL range, your echo train length, according to weighting. As you see, I mean, this particular sequence is, becomes more heavily T2 weighted T2, yeah. as that yeah. ETL increases, which the T2s will have the greatest length for echo train length. Right. I mean, the spin spin interaction
0: and so So it looks like you get T2. more contrast.
1: Definitely T2 hmm. contrast. And that's a. It always looks a,
0: sharper too. But.
1: It does. Yeah. It's a good. Time to bring this up. So each weighting kind of has its own uh, range of echo train length as well. So when I'm building protocols for a T1, you know, I go up to three. So two to three if it's turbo spin echo. Right. Uh, you can go a little higher, but not routinely. Three is my cutoff. If it's small field of view, high resolution, I keep it at two for T1. Oh, nice. But then uh, proton density weighting starts for me at about four, four to 12. 12 being way too high unless it's uh, like MSK with T2 weighting. But you want that smooth, like, contrast of of proton density. But, you know, T2 would be okay as well. So uh, for proton density, it's 4 to 9 for me. And then I go uh, 10 to 32, echo train. you got to get your TR, your echo train right. And then the TE, which we'll, I'm sure, touch on soon. Right. And then one little...
3: uh caveat i'll add is the restore magnification or oh, fast right. recovery oh pulse. yeah sure um right. for a normal fse t2 i would do you know 10 to 20 but what happens is since you don't have that refocus rf pulse you will get out of line so
2: hold on real quick before you go too far so restores with siemens and then the fast recovery is mm-hmm. that ge Okay, that's it
3: yeah it's an okay. additional refocus 180 pulse oh nice so adding that you're able to sample out your etl length longer so that ETL 32 would be a uh, restore mag or uh, fast oh, recovery. Nice.
1: And the idea of restore is that it allows you to kind of knock everything down, like the net magnetization to start the process over, you know, so that you can scan with shorter TRs essentially and still obtain high T2 contrast.
3: Yeah. Because that's the bottom line. Uh, echo train link is a divisible factor for our time formula. And nice. so, I mean, you talk to techs have been in the field for a while. They only had spin echo. Right. So, different world, right? Well, I remember uh, when I started in 2003 as a tech aid, the boss would bring in the newspaper, you know, I got a CTL. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Section you want. (laughs) See you at at
1: lunch break. (laughs) That's funny. Nice.
0: All right. Well, that's kind of the basics I would say for the most part. I'm trying to think of what else. I mean, like when you're looking at a GE and you're looking at that back page and you got the imaging options, right? And like you see a Zip 512. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know what that means. But if you want to just kind of break it down, when you select that, what it is that you're doing.
3: Zip 512 or Zip 1024, they're both options. You, they call them zero fill. Because there's times to use it and times not to. Yeah, it's and actually like, phase, phase offsets, because I've encountered that so bad, Zip 1024 can exacerbate that. So it's it's being aware of these truncation artifacts. But it's, it's basically zero fill. It's not actual resolution. It's apparent resolution. Mm-hmm. When you look at it, because it's packaging, case-based. So if
0: you actually already have that resolution, to select that would be it be a move, yeah, a move and
1: point. it basically is. It's essentially doubling the matrix visually. If you have at least a two fifty six. Matrix is, oh. that, is that how you yeah, understand it as well? It'll take it from 256 to 512.
2: That's why they call oh, for, interpolating. Right. That makes mm. sense. But okay.
1: isn't it, I think, if I'm right, and you probably know this, and I I don't know, I'm right there, but if you go 1024, you would at least have to have a base matrix of half that. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, that's yeah.
3: what the, I'll see the apps guys to drive it. They'll be like, anything over 260 automatically will drop it in a 512 block. Anything yes. over you know X will drop it
1: into a 1024 block. There you go. Yep. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't take like a 256 and add 1024 zip. Right. It just wouldn't work. And it's kind of one thing that's popular for 3D imaging,
3: vascular imaging, is, is ZIP2 or ZIP4. Mm-hmm. And again, anybody with a CT background would really understand this. It's interpolation. You know, if you're, you're scanning, you know, two millimeters, well, it's going to add a slice in between.
2: One funny thing that we've learned that affected our workflow is that we were interpolating when we didn't need to, and it affected how we were doing our MIPS. So it takes so much longer to render our mints when we're cutting out like the MRA of the head and things like that, that it it literally slowed our workflow down so much. And the issue really came down to, do we really need this? And it turned out that it really wasn't having any effect on our imaging. Right, like a nicety. Process. Just slowing down the yeah. process. A
3: nicety, not a necessity. Right. And I just came across that too. On uh, I have an older scanner, but it has an additional cardiac package. And so when they were doing abdomen work, same thing. They call it like the BAM memory. It's the, the bin access memory. There's only so much on these hard drives, right. but any zero fill, zip five twelve, zip two, right. uh, EDR is another one because that oh, drops yeah. you into thirty two bit reconstruction. Will lock up that memory, lock up your recon. Some of the newer scanners that use Space or Cube, mm-hmm. they'll even have recon time tab. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah recon absolutely. time less oh, than yeah. three minutes. Yeah, you know enough. it's just sucking up that
1: memory to process yeah, right. the way it needs to. Yeah. For me, uh, Siemens-based, I don't really use interpolation unless I have a square matrix. I don't know. For me, I haven't seen a lot of value there unless it's square. So you could take 256, 100%, and then turn on interpolation. and, And I agree with you. For 3D, it's better for 3D than 2D. But it's a good conversation to have. Is it critical? Is it a necessity? I don't think so. I so, don't think so. It's,
0: sometimes it's not, and it's yeah. important to know yeah. when. Like right. you're
3: not making it non-diagnostic. But is it affecting your workflow? Things to consider. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: Well, so it's nice that we're touching up on it because a lot of times a lot of people don't know what they're pressing when they press that button.
2: Right. Or what it means. Right. I, the yeah, there's pitch. other
0: imaging options too that are probably people don't know. I mean, and, and I'm just oh, yeah. referring to GE, but you know, there's other vendors as well. Where, I and mean, I'm trying to think of what exactly. But well, we zipped on, we were picked on uh, Zip 512. But maybe we can talk about, uh, let's talk about um.
2: matrices. I mean, you know, fine matrices versus coarse matrices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I think high resolution is one of those things where it can be, in the same sense, overused. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll have these super high matrices with super small field of views. And it's like, okay, well, What's the purpose? Because we're having these extremely long scan times, Mm -hmm. and it's almost counterproductive because you're going to end up doing some sort of repeat, right? Right, Or, you know, trying to compensate for the signal. What do you guys consider, uh, I guess, like what's a low matrix versus a high matrix, I guess is a better question.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of factors that play into this. Uh, So it depends on the field of view, the slice thickness. Obviously, we're concerned about signal to noise ratio. So I think that's kind of where the art comes in you know, for me, so let's just say we're starting with a sagittal C-spine. So say I'm going to build an entire spine arsenal. Mm -hmm. I would start small, maybe a 220 field of view for sagittal. And anywhere from like, we have all these new matrices with these new software. So like a 356 base matrix is something that I would pick. If it's T2, no fat set, maybe by 75%. And I think that would look really good. I think ACR, you got to take into account ACR, slice. They delegate basically what the signal. uh, They're looking at everything. They're looking at signal. They're looking at resolution. I think they say now for a C-spine, you have to have a 3-millimeter slice. And the sagittal plane. Nice. So if you just get the SNR right, that kind of a matrix is going to look really good. Mm-hmm. And then you can up the field of view for the lumbar spine, which would be the next one. You know, you get all that signal, that extra signal by up in the field of view, then you can up the matrix to like a 448 base matrix. And then from there, you go T-spine. And you could do 512, it'd look fine at 75%. With all that extra signal at that much bigger field of view, right. you could drop your average, you do it in a minute and 30 seconds. Oh, it'd look nice. fantastic, high resolution. Nice. So definitely smaller is harder. That's why when I build, I start there. It just kind of gets faster the, the bigger you go. Yep. A little easier it gets, right? Yep. Nice.
3: Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So if you're in a position to build for the radiologist, like you said, Bigger is better in a way because you have more SNR to burn, you can build a high resolution, you have more uh, parameter usage, Mm -hmm. and that's the thing. They can zoom in, the resolution will hold. Yeah. The bottom line, no matter what you're doing, whether it be a toe, C-spine, and abdomen, it's pixel size. Pixel size is, is the bottom line. Yep,
1: right. Yep. Yeah, and I've worked with some radiologists that want a tiny little field of view, you know, uh, give me like a six, they'll say. Right. <laughs> but there's so much that goes into making a good looking picture at six. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can make a really, really beautiful picture at 10 field of view. And to your point, they can just zoom it up on the screen. And <laughs> right. It's going to look so much better. Use that square <laughs> pixel. I'm a big fan. Square yeah, pixel. square pixels.
0: <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Okay, well, again, sticking with the basics, let's talk about oversampling and no-phase wrap and exactly what it is. What happens in the background when you select
3: that button? I'll let... Jesse cover oversampling. Yeah, so oversampling
1: is more of a Siemens term and maybe Phillips. I haven't really worked with Phillips, but basically what you're doing is sampling the data. So if you did 100% oversampling, it's basically twice the field of view. So it's only going to reconstruct the center, but the periphery is also being acquired, and that's to prevent phase wrap, essentially. Nice. So
0: It's also a good trick to gain some SNR if you need it, right?
1: Yeah, you can gain SNR. It's cheaper. It is cheaper. It's faster. However, I have noticed over time that it also is a little bit more noisy. So I feel that it's not the best approach unless you absolutely need it to avoid wrap. Nice. I'd rather add an average and keep my phase oversampling at zero if that will work, you know, where it's practical and it's going to look a lot better
3: nice yeah and that brings up a, a theoretical you know say so you're doing an axial abdomen and you've got phase of as adding phase over sample the air gonna add to the snr
1: yeah i mean uh, i'm just bringing in all this noise that i don't want yeah, it's it's just, right. it doesn't That's
0: actually a good thing to consider yeah
3: interesting okay. because uh, if it's anatomy then you're adding protons which you're adding signal, signal. Yeah.
0: and just the difference in vendors and to be clear my experience is with phillips ge and siemens so I know with GE, you're kind of limited. And I don't know if the new software, I think new software is like the 27, right? Yeah,
3: once you go 27, they actually get rid of the old no phase wrap button, and okay. it goes to phase over. The reason it adds time is it's phase encodings. Yeah, with GE, so. it's either on or off. Yeah, and the, the way that works is when you click that on on a GE, it doubles your field of view, doubles your matrix, and cuts your necks in half. That's all behind the scenes, and then it zooms up your image, so your image size is the same field of view. I mean, it's a very clever, yeah, it's clever setup. technique, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's the way of the dinosaur now with 27 and beyond.
0: Nice. Are you have any experience with that 27 software? I do. I've, out? I've okay. got a,
3: quite a bit of experience with the 27. Is there anything about it you like a lot? Uh, yeah, it's great. I think once you go because not, you don't need to be too essentially 200. percent I guess what yeah. you say, phase. You just need to cover beyond the coil mm-hmm. to avoid that phase wrap or artifact. So you can essentially have more finesse and and control. And and that's what I like about Philips.
0: That's what I like about Siemens is it's more adjustable. So you you can manipulate it more. So now you have that. Where with Siemens, it's on or off. Mm -hmm. Right. Right.
2: On still being on the aspect of phase over sampling, are there situations when you're building a protocol where you automatically like, okay, we're just going to max that out? Versus uh, let me let the tech Make that decision I never max it out Never max it out And and when I build I keep in mind
1: The average patient So you know If it's a body I'm probably going to have Like a 350 matrix Is just going to be the go to And that You know And if I tailor it resolution-wise and signal-wise for that field of view it's kind of uh flexible you know so you can go up or down a little bit mm. from there without any real penalty to quality oh, smart because yeah, everyone's so,
2: quick they go down in the matrix real quick right yeah you know and that's a good topic we should maybe
1: touch on <laughs> like what you can and can't do uh right. with the protocol as it lies when you're trying to To go fast or or whatever is. We'll go down that rabbit hole, Jesse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Let's hear it.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of things you can't do. So on that topic of abdomen, you know, if you have a tiny little patient and you say the protocol is built with the 40 field of view and you get a, a little old lady in there that's 70 pounds and you don't change that field of view from 40... Down to say probably 28. It's going to look really, really. The resolution's going to be terrible.
2: Oh, postage right. stamp.
1: Yeah, it'll be a postage stamp. And even if you mag that up, if the radiologist goes and mags that up, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Call back. Huh? D- what? <laughs> nah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully not. And hopefully, the podcasts like this can bring awareness to, right. to what you shouldn't, shouldn't do. But you know, for me, the best thing would be if you're going to drop it from 40 to 28, you're going to have to do something for signal. You know, you're going to have to do something for signal, and likely the resolution is going to be too high. So what's your favorite way to compensate? So what I would do is I would take maybe take the resolution down twenty percent, because you're going to need some signal, and you probably if it was built correctly for that field of view, you're not going to need all that matrix. So I would do that for sure, and then get creative with some SNR, maybe drop the bandwidth. You're going to have to do something there, though, for side. Right, to compensate. And, and we're still working with big field of view. So 28 is still pretty large, so you have a lot of a signal already to work with. But right. if you take that scenario down to a wrist, for example, and <laughs> say you're taking a, you take a knee sagittal protocol and you're trying to do a wrist with that, so you take it from a 15 field of view to 8, it's just going to get harder and harder. Right. So that wouldn't be a good choice. So as a scanning tech, I think pick a field of view from another protocol that's more optimized for for that oh. size you, you know go up versus go down right you could go up versus go down for sure yeah so to me that's easier and when you're building that's kind of how I do it I create a tree basically of tailored field of views and you can be really flexible with that and implement those into the different categories and subsections and it's nice yeah once you get your tree built it's easy to to distribute. <laughs> Correct. But what uh, what do you think about that? No, that's great. I mean, that almost brings me back to x-ray school.
3: I remember. Yeah. Oh,
2: is, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had, yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and I had one teacher. He's like, you can basically do all x-ray with three basic techniques. Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, the, the finger, the shoulder, the abdomen, you know, essentially. And just fine-tune it. You know, mm-hmm. take that and, okay, we're doing an elbow. So let's go in between. And, oh, I like yeah. that. You know, or, oh, man, the sequence is missing the post-contrast. Where am I going to pull from? Yeah. You know, like you said, pull from, well, it's going to turn out on a toe for sure. Yeah. Work on a shoulder. Start there, adjust your field of view. and uh, But there's two elements now on these newer scanners for sure that really help. Pixel size and relative SNR. So the relative SNR is based off what the protocol was saved at. Mm -hmm. So if it was going to work, you know, on a normal patient, well, now you've got little old lady Yep, At at 70 pounds, well, as you adjust that field of view, you see your SNR go down. But before you adjust it, look at your pixel size. Mm -hmm. You can balance that out by reducing your matrix because your pixel size is actually getting smaller when you shrink that field of view. Nice. And that'll buy back your SNR and and adjust your time as well.
0: And really, it's important to know that at the end of the day, the parameters that you adjust can mask, it can highlight, it can bring out pathologies, right? I mean, just changing the TI time and cardiac would be a good example of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Post contrast. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And and slice sickness as well.
1: Oh, If you're taking some
3: massive protocol, oh, we're going to make this a toe, Mm -hmm. you you get partial volume averaging. Nice. You know, pathology can fall in between the slices if they're too Mm. thick. Yeah.
2: Yeah. One thing uh, I think is kind of can be confusing is B values, right? Because each part of the body has a, a different B value that can be better used or utilized. I know that neural doesn't use a lot of B values. We, we tend to stick to either one or two, um, where body can have our, even a calculated B value where it's a super high number. If you want to make, say, uh, a diffusion protocol, how, how do you mitigate how that is kind of discovered, I guess? Is it in a testing phase? Like you just kind of play yeah, with the B I values mean, it, and see?
1: D- c- so I think, you know, so prostate is a good example here oh, uh, nice. where they want really high B values, and the calculated B values of like 1,600 is not uncommon. Right. But basically... The B value, uh, the higher the B value, the lower the SNR. And I believe that the B value indicates the length of time that the gradient is on. So for different tumors, uh, higher B values, if it's bright on a really high B value, that means that that tumor is very hypervascular. Yeah, a good range is nice. You know, for body, uh, you could do, I don't know, 50, 400, and 800 is not uncommon. It's kind of like a RAD-dependent thing, like how they want to see it. It definitely is, you know. And you need at least two B values to make an ADC map. Uh, oh. So the ADC map is critical. Yeah, so body, I would say if you saw a, a bright tumor in the liver, B value of, of 50, okay, let's see what it looks like at 400. It's still bright, okay, it's pretty, pretty hypervascular, indicating it's probably malignant. Right. And then you go up to like 800 or 1,000, if it drops out, it might be less suspicious, whereas if it's still really, really bright, yeah... Right. It's just, it's a really nice tool if you're not going to give contrast, especially. I think it's this, the next best thing to giving contrast. Good point. I like that. So, yeah. but yeah, that's about what I know. And I yeah. don't think it really, honestly, I think it depends on the radiologist and facility. And you right. need a low one, you need a high
2: one. Right. So... <laughs> Yep. But people shouldn't just drag a uh, neurodiffusion <coughs> and use it for a body case. I mean, th- you, could. Like that. you could. Uh,
1: I would say not in that specific because typically you're going to have a B value of zero. 50 makes a better ADC, but uh, it's going to be like a 1,000 is the, the B value that you want there. And I think you probably need a little bit more of a range for body. But it's easy to add. I mean, right. you just add the other B value, right. you know, maybe a 500, 400, or
3: yeah, there's a, a few things, like you said, mentioning. It takes all B-values into effect when calculating the ADC. For me, it's optimizing the actual sequence, taking from the brain to the abdomen. You you want to be aware, again, of the user CVs. Homodyne is on for brain. Homodyne was created for body parts that are not going to have a lot of motion. Like the brain, they're just going to be sitting in the coil, whereas some places, oh. respiratory trigger and abdomen, uh, that's when you want to use zero fill for your user CV, nice. and that will reduce some of the offsets. There's also... Other finesse, EPI correction will line up the sequence for each B value a little better. Then you also want to adjust your kernel and your threshold. Threshold's critical, Mm -hmm. especially on the older scanners, 16X and, and prior. It defaults at 50, but what happens is you're going to get a lot of black hole on your ADC, so you really have to manually go in and lower that down to make all viable pixels demonstrated yeah. for nice. that sequence. That's a good point. Yeah, like MSK,
1: point. Uh, I've been using a threshold zero actually to kind of bring out everything. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. uh, in a brain that might be too low. But, right. And that's a good point actually. You have the different styles of diffusion. You have you know tetra right. diffusion right. direction all right uh, that's the other slice. Thing. And all all that, would be that, that, that is dependent on the body part. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Nice. Three and one is preferred for body all is preferred for brain tetrahedral gave him one extra direction to help uh, if you're ever dropping an ROI it was why it was created mm. uh, it really didn't take off kind of died out Last time I chatted with you, the neck is a is a tough one for me. How do you sure. how do you optimize a neck?
1: <laughs> so well, you
3: mentioned propeller or propeller blade. for
1: sure. Yeah. The, if you could do it coronal, you know, diffusion's getting pretty fancy these That's days. That's right. And, yeah. uh, you know, like resolve diffusion on Siemens. I really like multi shot. It's yeah. a multi shot EPI, so it's gonna fix some of those distortion problems around, like say the Petrus and and tissue interfaces. Yeah, so multi shot is better. It's it, nice. it costs you time. Right. So you know, the standard epi base that you're probably doing in the brain out there. Most, unless it's Siemens resolve or another multi-shot option, right. uh, it's going to be single shot. So, so your diffusion direction is pretty critical in the brain that way too. You'll mm-hmm. get a lot of warping. If the phase direction is left to right in the brain, mm-hmm. you really want a phase direction A to P oh, nice. in the brain for single shot epi.
3: That also reduces peripheral nerve stimulation in that direction as well.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Nice. nice. Interesting. I didn't know that. So with, the, uh, so the, Road that I've crossed many times with patients, and specifically to diffusion. If they, fifteen year old with tons of braces, is there any tricks that you can do to?
1: Well,
0: that's where Resolve would
1: come in for sure. Or uh, tetrahedral. Does that create a multi shot? I don't know, but Um, I I feel like it's worked for me in those types of scenarios better.
3: Yeah, that's when you would want the blade, and the reason is diffusion traditionally is an EPI based sequence. Right. And the other thing that kills it actually when you get into optimizing protocols is the echo space when we talk about keeping tes below 10 for fses right. you, you ever look at your diffusion what your first te is ooh no <laughs> they can be around 70 to 80 oh. so it's just it, the sequence has so much potential and we're just now getting to the high resolution mm, the resolve mm-hmm. the focus yeah. all sorts Respiratory
1: of triggered. so right. when you
3: so with the braces what happens is adding the blade you're adding an rf pulse and that's what's reducing the susceptibility in these instances mm or the neck as as we
1: mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so coronal in the neck would be ideal, I think.
2: <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, uh-huh. switching the to plane too, right? Yeah, that's a great right? point. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that's good to know. Okay, so
2: yeah.
0: so far as far as basics goes, we've covered like the different parameters. Let's talk about like different sequences that you would run for a different protocol. Like for example, if you're going to do a stroke protocol, like obviously there would be a a diffusion that would probably be the first one you would run. But what else would you do for
1: that? Well, Stroke workup, you know, you're probably going to want to do some sort of angio of the brain, diffusion, maybe carotid, bolus. So, Mm -hmm. it could be pretty quick, pretty painless. Start with diffusion because these patients may or may not be cooperative. And actually, two-plane diffusion is helpful because of these artifacts that you see, especially if they're moving. Right. So, if you could do a 40-second axial and a 40-second coronal diffusion, that might be enough. Right. You know, if the patient taps out at that point. But yeah, you just do your standard, whatever meets ACR, honestly. T2 maybe a flare and then some angio stuff.
0: Is there any times you can think of that you would deviate from the set protocol based on like pathology that you might see? Like the first thing that comes to my mind is like a a bone lesion and you want to throw it in and out of phase.
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on your facility. It depends on the right. expectations of the technologist. Uh, right. You know, a lot of places out there these days don't want you doing extra stuff. So, yeah. You know, hopefully, they have a
2: set protocol mm, for a set situation. Right,
1: right, right, right. So the radiologist determines what is absolutely necessary and what's critical, and then deviations from that, uh, you know, are kind of individualized, right. uh, which introduces a lot of variability. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think... Just because radiology in general, the direction that it's headed is all being optimized for time, patient throughput, and uh, the almighty dollar, I would suggest to people out there not to add much of anything. In phase, out of phase for bone lesion is nice and they're quick. But I think you just end up causing more headaches for for the radiologist if you kind of build your own protocol right? At the <laughs> on communication, a day-to-day basis. For yeah. real,
2: communication is key in those situations. Sure, right? yeah. like if you have a rad you can reach out to, that's yes. the way to do it. That's right? the way to do it. Some,
0: yeah. Some they welcome that, some they don't.
3: Right. right. And know your audience, your rads, and yeah. your patient contact. Right. We've worked with a wonderful radiologist and she loved it. It would save a callback for contrast MSK. I talked to a radiology, a great rad, this past week, and I said, how can you tell the difference between a bony infarct and an enchondroma? And he was like, oh, he he went on and he gave me some differences, but then I heard him say, well, one has a fatty component and one doesn't. I said, so an in-phase, out-of-phase would answer that, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, sure would.
0: I mean, I know in my experience, if I'm doing a patient for suspected osteomyelitis, I might
3: throw in a stir Mm -hmm. if contrast wasn't indicated. Absolutely. right. And now bringing back to the point you made, does everything need to be high resolution? They came up with a, a foot protocol with another excellent radiologist I was working with and said, I just need to see edema. I don't I don't need to see like yeah. necessarily all the bony trabeculation in the world on the stir. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. So knowing that equips you, equips me to doing what's appropriate, time sensitive and oh, uh, resolution sure. based.
2: Oh, especially with a stir too, those can be so troublesome. <laughs> They're long. I'm trying to make them high res and <laughs> yeah. short, right? They're yeah. Long. Yeah. very yeah. long. That's a very great board. filters.
1: That's the way to kind of you know Dang, like hide that. the noise with some with some think, pixel smoothing
2: filters. I feel like that's most <laughs> the most underutilized like aspect that maybe rads don't know that can be helpful. That can really be helpful in a lot of situations. those image filters, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a good point. You know, I think everybody should have their role. And I think if you have dedicated protocol attacks that you trust, I think right. the rad should say, "Look, I need a stir," and it should be up to that person to. Present to things. present it, to yeah. make it look good, and uh, you know, each person should play their role. So I think that's that'll contribute to a high functioning situation. Though. Very well yep. said. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Very well said. For
3: yeah. sure. And then just as we trust them with making the diagnosis, sure, absolutely. Right. Yeah, you know, the product's viable, then they're equipped to do what they yep. need to do.
2: Yeah. Well, I know there's a few uh, websites that we discussed pre-podcast that are. Super beneficial when you're not even developing, but if you have some questions about some of these topics that were talked about, or you know, some of the things that you might see on the scanner that you don't know a lot about. What are some of your favorite websites, I guess, Jesse? I guess we'll start with you. Well,
1: there was one, uh, I don't know, Dave, if you want to bring this up, but there's one that I find very helpful. Uh, if you just have say you hear a word and you're like, What is this word? Right, Uh, you just type it in, and it's I think it's mrtip, T I P, yeah, mrtip.com. This is a for me, this has been very useful. You never stop learning, obviously. Oh, so you can put anything in there like? Anything. PR, as- read.: Sure, oh, nice. I mean, most of just the stuff Googles, is in there. Just for Google, let's do that.
0: that. So we typed in gradient. We were discussing this earlier. So let's do gradient echo and see what pops up.
1: So you see it just kind of gives nice. you detailed info with hyperlinks to, to pertinent other you know, rabbit holes you could go down and never come out of. I like that. So this is helpful for anybody, radiologists alike. You're right. Yep. Shout out to uh, Mm MRtips.com. Yeah, that's awesome. And then uh, you had brought up one earlier that also I think is really nice.
3: Yeah, MRI questions. The folks there just do an excellent job, a nice layout. And they have advanced discussions, so I've used that with a lot of the new software on GE. If you pick a gradient echo sequence, those parameters are blanked out. Mm. Does anyone here know off the top of their head some great T2 star parameters for gradient echo? I need TE, flip angle, and TR. Oh. And okay. <laughs> so it's like, nice. you know, yeah. yo, man, right. you got to go on the fly here. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that website has some great like images a, with... A couple great resources.
2: Right. right. And of course, this will all be in the show notes. So if you're driving, you can see it at the bottom of our our YouTube page or our website in the show notes for sure. We'll have all links to these websites.
0: So the one Jonathan mentioned was MRIQuestions.com. dot com, but there's several, and it's important to kind of just go down that rabbit hole sometimes.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. There's so many resources I feel like that's online and it's knowing what's the right resources to kind of get to to get you your answer the fastest mm-hmm. because you can read, you know, all these peer review articles all day long and you're kind of skimming through and trying to find the right TRIT and mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you just don't have the time for that but they really have nailed it on a few of these websites and I love it. I love the resources and the education and it's free, you know, uh, what's better than something that you don't even have to create a login for, Right. you know?
1: That's I hate usernames logging. Yeah.
2: I hate that. Will you please sign up?
1: Right. But see, this is nice. Yeah. Is this the same website that gives you actual protocols as well? There's one out there. I can't remember. I can't remember
2: oh, yeah. So you have a this. few things on the side here artifacts, functional. Oh, yeah. They have a.
3: Yeah, I know which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I've seen uh, some techs have that up as well. Yeah. Uh, I've, and I've used that before, too. It's been a while.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. But there's
1: nice uh, kind of obscure protocols on there, like MR, the psialogram. That's what and I used it for, it was yeah. the psialogram. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, MRImaster.com. MRImaster, that's, yeah. that's, that's the one. Yeah.
0: They'll that's put I'm the a big fan mm-hmm. of that. It, yeah. Just for giggles, let's do that. Let's go to mrimaster.com, Dave, if you
2: don't big, mind. Big shout out to all yeah. these websites for doing such an amazing yeah. job. And then you'll go to uh, planning. And shout out to Google for making it easy for us to search this.
0: (laughs) So on the left there, and we'll just just randomly go to one. Let's hit uh, epilepsy protocol.
2: Or orbits. Or orbits <laughs> or yeah, whatever. Right,
3: yeah, really... You see that DWI, colistitoma. Oh, it's, yeah. That's yeah. when you want so to use propeller. propeller. Blade. Yeah. yeah. It only yeah, shows nine nine up. up C- that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I spoke to a neuroride who came back from a conference the other year and he said, so, my differential will go from like five to two yeah, with that sequence.
0: Nice. Sure. This is nice because when you pull it up it says indications. It says contraindications. It tells you how to set up the patient, how to position them. Scroll down. It tells you which sequences you're going to run, how to set up those sequences. Yeah,
2: and they try to keep it as non-vendor-specific as possible, which I yeah. really enjoy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. When I first got into MRI, I was working weekends alone, by myself, and this was a great
1: resource. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, it's a great... Base. For anybody who wants to start building protocols right. that uh, doesn't have anybody to really look to for right. direction, r- right
2: here it is. Even when you're going through MR school and you really want, because when you're before you start your clinical, you kind of want to know what you're getting yourself into, right? Yeah, and sure. I, I feel like this is a great place to kind of. So it shows you how
0: you angle with the Sylvian Fisher on that yeah. A2 oblique, the oblique, coronal. I don't know. Yeah, it shows big you shout the out. range, right? Slice thickness, mm-hmm. flip angle. Phase direction, yeah, it's a great starter it's too package. Too easy, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and
1: it's free, and it's free. Yeah, oh, man.
0: So basically, know that there's resources out there and right. use them, and use educate them. yourself. It'll only make you a better tech, and that translates to better right. patient care. So. Mm-hmm. We didn't just all get into this for a paycheck, right? I mean we we still have an interest in patient care. That's oh, ultimately sure. what we're here for. It's the
2: art, you know. And you know, patient care it goes a long way when it comes to that. But that would I, be real
3: awkward if somebody said no.
2: <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> I need to get paid. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Awesome. All right. So speaking of like things that excite us and showing an interest outside of work, like what in the future of MRI excites you guys? I know you were just yeah, recently at yeah. an RSNA. Wrap up. I imagine you've seen some stuff. Yeah. Jonathan, um, I know you mentioned earlier about the 27 package or, or software package on the GE, but we'll, we'll just go left or right. So
1: Jeff C, is there anything out there that excites you? You know, when I was at RSNA, I was in, incredibly excited about this new technology called Recon DL and for deep learning. Uh, uh-huh. It blew my mind. What? Uh, I don't know if you uh,
3: is that the when it takes like a low quality image and
1: absolutely bruises it up. I've absolutely, seen it. Like, what?
3: This so intense, like 10 second pictures all yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: so the example they gave at RSNA was uh, like a six minute knee protocol. If you look at the raw image, you know it's super signal starved. Has a higher matrix. So, it, w- it would be something that your radiologist would say, uh, What are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and when back. you say six minute knee protocol, <laughs> that's like it, three or it, four it, it, it was sequences? Five sequences. Five
2: sequences. Uh,
1: wow. Each one was, was, the w- math. was wicked fast, right? Wow. Yeah. And so, what they do, they send this into this recon deep learning packet. Basically, it takes a, a database of like 10,000 or 10 million knees, I think is what they said 10 million knees. And then, somehow, some magic formula, I assume through pixel intensities, right. kind of like spits out a new image that looks. Beautiful. Wow. It looks like ACR. You know, absolutely, I don't know that ACR would accredit this yet. It's going to take some time to, for confidence to build with something like this, right. especially with the radiologist. But the outlook looks bright. The huh? outlook looks very bright, and nice. I was—that's probably the most impressed I was with anything at at RSNA. Thomas, and a it's huge artificial factor. intelligence. Time's right. a huge factor, and and we need this technology. Well, right. how, how do you guys think that'll affect the
3: future of MR? You think we'll just be, buying be like it? CT?
0: Well, that's exactly what I
3: thought. We're be out
0: ED patients for sure. Do you think
3: a bunch of mom and pop startups will be hitting town? You know, buying used oh, magnets
0: and for buying that software. For sure.
3: For sure.
2: I know there I are certain like requirements, too competitive but
0: competitive the market. I don't you know. think. Well, so. I think
2: yeah. I think what's starting to come, kind of come back, because there was a wave of it before. Was these whole body like scans. Without really uh, having, say, an injury or a cause for it. But they're just, they just doing these pre-screenings, yeah. Yeah. right? At the mall. Yeah, at the mall. You just, yeah, get mall, you just stop line, get your, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I think something like that will speed up that process where you can get a whole body scan and still get, you know, the type of information that the RAD needs to really evaluate what they're trying to evaluate and look for certain things. I think, man, that'll open up the door for a lot of startups and maybe... Bring that back, and I guess it just comes down to accreditation and mm-hmm. you know, insurance. A lot of people might have to come out of pocket for scans like that, but I mean, it's the future looks really bright for MR, it does, yeah, it really does. Technology is just getting better,
1: and uh, it's definitely all artificial intelligence that's the buzz right now. So, and, that was your uh, biggest takeaway, yeah. That was that was awesome, nice. and that you know, they had. Displays for every every uh, you know x-ray. They have something similar that they're using for x-ray as well, where you take a really low-quality picture and process it with artificial intelligence, wow. which is nice because you can spare the patient some something dose. That's and radiation. And uh, and it'll spit well, out just a beautiful... Then I'm sure it's
3: on a, the way for CT as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Dang. I saw something similar for right. CT. Mm. And,
1: and on, on the note of CT, trauma brain, for example, this... Artificial intelligence software basically pointed out these tiny little hemorrhages or whatever. So it's only going to make the radiologist's job that much better. You know, I think it's only going to complement us. I don't think it's going to put anybody out of work right. anytime soon. But it's going
0: uh, it's it's to get shorter. It's yeah, c- yeah
1: I, I agree with that. Right. Uh, but on that, on that same note, it's going to be easier to do what we need to do. So right. we won't need the amount of time that we've needed. And it's interesting
3: so. to speak with the radiologist on this now. It's more of a global approach as well. There's a huge physician shortage. Oh, so this was going to augment that where they're able to, to read or confirm mm-hmm. the assistive reading nice with the AI and the DL.
0: What's out there that excites you, Jonathan?
3: You know, some things I read, and each vendor has their magazine. I saw a blip in one of the, the Pulse magazines or, you know, mentioned EPI. It's a fraction of what we do for an FSE sequence. So... Some group is just developing whole protocols, you know. Same thing, actual scan time, but just minutes <laughs> using EPI-based sequences. For me, it's it's diffusion. I think diffusion is the, is the way of the future. Big time. Uh, now that they're unlocking the capability of, of high resolution. We talked about the, the long echo space on the diffusion. Part of that, too, if you look at your actual matrices, usually the phase is higher than the frequency, and, and all of that's to offset some of that echo spacing but now more and more options are focus and zoom and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all sorts of nice extra things. So that's what, that's, what's exciting me because I mean, with contrast being in the the news so much, uh, being able to have a patho numeric sequence without contrast is, you know, very advantageous.
0: So actually I did want to kind of touch up on that. Jesse just went to an SR, RSNA, uh, what is it? A convention?
1: Yeah. Convention. Yeah, Yeah. Thank you.
0: And, uh, he did a presentation there. What'd you do the presentation on?
1: Well, it was how to optimize musculoskeletal imaging, uh, practical strategies and applications for that, you know, dealing with metal artifacts, you know, how to build a protocol as well. It was fun. fun it was nice. a great experience, an awesome opportunity. And then, uh, Jonathan, you teach at a
0: local community college, don't you? That's correct, yeah. What's your impression on the new wave of people coming into the field?
3: It's difficult because MR is real hands-on. And the, the bottom line is, is getting either a simulator or a tech or a student together to scan and show. Exactly. Yeah. Tell him a- show. Apply it on the ground level. Right. You know, for me to. Tell you online or, or read it or say check your book is, is very difficult. You right. know, how much are you going to maintain and grasp?
0: Practical mm-hmm. application helps. Yeah,
3: so I'd be great if, if there's any startups or companies or vendors out there that have simulators. That would be fantastic in, in preparing the students. You know, hey, when you click this TR, this TE, this what's your address. resultant image going to look like? That would right. Just, because imagine showing up the first day on the job already having that knowledge base. Now you can just focus on let's uh, patient care, positioning, right, and uh, having that in The little health. things
2: that count so much, right? So yeah. what's the
3: actual class that you teach? Is it a uh, physics class? It's Introduction it? to MRI, okay. and I use the Westbrook Talbot MRI Practice. Nice.
2: Oh, I love that book. So it's pretty much oh. the MRI
3: Bible. Right. And, they, they, they do and a, these students, are they already in the program? So for me, there's a waiting list, and this is one of the—they just switched it to a prereq. It's the first— course in the program with this being where I teach, you already have to have an RT background, which is helpful because then you get, you know, basic in that physiology. Yeah. And
2: have you had any, um, pre-medical people kind of take it yet? Y-
3: you know what? It's been interesting. A few times veterinarian programs will oh, come through because that's, that's actually t- MR is taking off right. in, the, in the vet field. Right. So. Well, we were
0: just scanning pigs the other day. Well, I mean, I think that kind of wraps it up, right? For sure. I mean, we, we definitely covered a big
2: range of things. Yes, please. Definitely. Comments are open. So if you have any questions or any insight or anything that we discuss add it, you know, we want to build more educational material for MRI techs out there. So if you do have more insight or any questions, you know, we will definitely follow up with anything posted in the comments. Let's try to keep it clean and friendly, of course. But uh, we definitely appreciate you guys, you know, visiting the channel and, you know, just being eager to kind of kind of grow as a technologist. Right.
0: Yeah, and expect to see Jonathan and Jesse again. I oh, think. for sure. Um, they are a great resource in the world of MRI. We hope to utilize them as often as we can. I think they have a lot that they can offer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess this is our goodbyes. So thank you, Jesse. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Thank you, Reggie. Thank you, young young Jamie. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Dave. (laughs) Appreciate it. This is Jamie for Jameson. Thank you for watching. Stay tuned. We got more to come. So Zone 3 Podcast, we are out.
3: The information and comments provided in the Zone 3 podcast and website are not intended to be technical or medical recommendations or advice for individuals or patients. The information and comments provided under the auspices of Zone 3 podcasts and their guests are of a general nature and should not be considered specific to any individual or patient, whether or not a specific patient is referenced by the physician, technologist, individual, group, or other entity seeking information. Zone 3 podcast may provide links or references to websites. Such links are provided as a convenience to our listeners seeking more information on topics. These websites are not affiliated with Zone 3 podcast, nor do they endorse or manage content discussions unless otherwise stated during recording.